Well, this morning we're going to do things a little differently, mainly because the government of Kentucky is asking that churches not meet, not just churches, but all gatherings of large number, and so because of that we're not together as a body, so I pray that everyone who typically comes is watching this morning, and also that those who are watching from elsewhere will be praying for us, that God would give us wisdom in how to deal with this. I do want to address a couple things that I've heard from our government that I think should be addressed to the church and be careful uh, what we what we believe, um, and that's before I, I get into what I believe is the right way to do it right now. Um, first thing is, I keep hearing this phrase that social distancing is the answer to our problem, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. And I know that some people won't like what I just said, but I don't care because. Social distancing is not the answer to the problem. God is. And despite what some in leadership who call themselves Christians say, they are not putting God first. And I I do not appreciate that. And I don't believe as a church or believers around the world, we should believe that lie. Because if we look in the Old Testament, every time the people of Israel turned to God in the midst of plague, famine, destruction, they always found hope. The problem is now we're turning to each other to find hope. Well, if you do your part, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be uh, good citizens of the nations and countries that we live in, but I, I do believe that we have to be careful about what we believe and how we're being taught by the world around us that the answer is anything other than God, because it is not. That doesn't mean that germ um, science is not true. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that prayer is the answer. It is not social distancing. Now, as believers, we should seek to not cause a disruption by doing, doing our best as believers to fulfill the requests and the mandates of our government. However, we need to clarify that, and we need to make sure that we're not believing what the government says, because God has always been in control. This virus is not bigger than God. This, um, what we're hearing over the radio and I mean, there, there's so much conflicting evidence, and there's, there's so much going on, but God is still in control. He's, he hasn't lost power. He is not to be um, thrown out the door and, and treated as a second option. And I believe as Christians, this is a moment where we cry out to God to have mercy on our nation, on our, on our world, because... Today, as in every day, there are people dying all over the world, not just from the coronavirus, from the flu. There are abortion clinics in Louisville, Kentucky that are still running and murdering babies every day. 
Apparently, the weak and the vulnerable are not that important. It shows that there is hypocrisy in even what our nation says they're fighting for because the most weak and the most vulnerable are the babies in the womb. So I know this may sound like a bunch of political uh, stuff, but I'm not trying to be political. This is not... This is about God being God and the church being the church. We are not to define the world around us by what the world tells us is true. God is still in control. He's still on His throne. And we as believers need to seek above all things to be faithful to Him and to look to His Word. What are the answers? When plague comes, what does He say? Repent. And turn to me. That is throughout the Old Testament. So that was one thing that I wanted to to clear up. Because I don't want anyone to believe that we're believing in this fact that social distancing is the answer. Because it's not. And I've heard that multiple times. Not only on uh, from our actual governor. But also all over social media. Even believers saying, well this is the only way we're going to stop this disease. No, it is not. It is completely false. The only way we're going to defeat the devil and his schemes is through prayer and faith in Jesus Christ. So you want to defeat the the virus, we need to defeat sin in our lives, turning ourselves, consecrating ourselves to Christ Jesus and trusting in his power instead of our own. Because even with all the social distance, distancing that people are doing, we can't stop a disease in our own. We need God on our side. So, um, that being the case, I wanted to address another thing. As a believer, as a Christian, I don't believe that we should substitute video church for real church. Because I believe one of the primary marks of a church is a local gathering of believers. So, this morning I'm not going to be preaching, necessarily. I've decided that while this, while we're trying to seek to figure out a way to meet physically again, um, in a way that honors our government's at, uh, requests at this point, that we turn to a different subject, so uh, at this point we're going to set aside Romans for the time being, and I want to do a study, more of a study, not necessarily a, a preaching. So what I want to do is a study on the church, what the church is, um, what character, characterizes the church, and I don't know how long this thing will go, but... Um, Maybe even if once the government allows churches to meet again and and gatherings to happen that are in large numbers, um, as those restrictions ease, what we might do is try to do this on Wednesday nights before prayer or something. I don't know. We'll have to talk about that as a church. We haven't had a chance to. But I want to do a, a small series of studies on the church. And so we're going to seek to do... 
this week is to set up a Zoom account for the church so that we can have uh, Zoom meetings for Wednesday night. Um, and that way we can gather in small groups of two or three or as a family unit and pray together and also any questions that you have from today's um, study that you could email those to me and I'll have uh, Joseph um, post in the comments my email address if you want to one, get the link to Zoom so that when we set it up, I, I can email it to you, or uh, I can also text it to you. So, but either way, if you can email me, my email address is JC. Oh, so jo- Joseph wants me to write it up here. So I'll I'll write it on the board. Oh, comments are not working. I hope you can see that, but please email me, and I will, once I figure out how to get Zoom to work right, I may send you a test run to make sure it's, you understand how to use it, Um, but we're going to try to do that on Wednesday night so that we can um, still meet together, talk to each other, and even those who watch online from other places, you're more than welcome to join us. So, um, but as you have questions, as I'm teaching today, please write those down, and I, I would appreciate it if you email them to me so that Wednesday night I could answer those for you um, to the best of my ability. I can't promise I know that we'll be able to find all the answers, but um, I hope that this study will be helpful for us as a church to see what the church should look like from Scripture, and it also would be helpful for uh, other believers who are watching from elsewhere who don't have an opportunity to do a live stream like this. So, um, And then also, we're hoping to move our live stream sometime soon to YouTube. That way there will be videos um, that you can go back and watch. We've got to figure out all the logistics, so that may take a little bit of time. But um, And it would also allow for us to do live stream from um, a location other than this building. So that would be really helpful um, for us. So uh, anyways, so again, I want to start with a study on... A character, the characteristics of a church. Uh, there's also a very good book. I don't agree with one chapter in this book, but if you see it here, um, it's by Mark Dever, and it's uh, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. I think it's really helpful for us as believers um, 
to think about what a healthy church is according to Scripture. Um, the one chapter that I don't agree with, when we get to it, you'll know why. Um, but other than that, I think he has a very healthy understanding of the church. And I've seen, I've personally been to his church. It is a Baptist church in Washington, D.C. And um, he has been faithfully teaching the word there for years. Um, so that being said, I, I wanted to start out with something that I've shared with our church before, but not in, in a huge detail. Um, so I think it's really important for us as believers to understand the mission of the church first. Because if we miss out on this, then we don't really understand why a healthy church has certain characteristics, certain marks, if you want to use that word. So, this morning, we need to address that first. Because if we can't, if we can't understand what the mission of the church is, we can't see why these characteristics are important. So, if you'll look with me this morning in Matthew chapter 28... We see in verse 16 through 20, and I'll read that, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, in this passage, it's important to, to break it down, to understand the context. Jesus has risen from the dead, and in verse 10 of Matthew 28, he told them, he told um, those who saw him to tell the brethren to leave for Galilee, and to meet him there. So, when we get to verse 16, this is what the, the, they had gone in obedience to Galilee and had gone to the mountain that Jesus had designated. So they had been faithful to obey God. And so they, they arrive there and they see him. Now we know from a, other Gospels that they were actually fishing at the time and Peter jumped out of the boat and swam to shore because they caught so many fish, and he wanted to see Christ. And it says in verse 17, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Now, it's interesting, they saw him, but still were doubtful, some of them. Were they doubting that he was real? I don't know. I think that they might have been confused, not just doubtful. And But Jesus starts out his conversation with them in verse 18, and he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And this is really important because I think we miss, that, miss this in the church oftentimes. We read verse 19, the commands, the command, and we forget that Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is 
preceding an objection here. And that objection is, if he gave the command first, then they might say, well, this is really def- we're not going to be able to do this. But Jesus is preempting this problem by saying, go therefore. The, the problem to do, going and making disciples with all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So what Jesus is saying is, all this authority that I have, I'm giving it to you to do this, to fulfill the mission of the church. This group of men, the disciples, are the foundation of the church. The apostles were the foundation of the church. And we see that uh, later on in Scripture. So when Jesus gives the command to do these things, to fulfill the mission of the church, Jesus isn't saying, do this in your own strength. Jesus isn't saying, try your best. Jesus is saying, I will be with you, because we see that at the end of verse 20. It's a sandwich. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I know I'm sounding like I'm preaching, but this is really important for us. If we think that we can fulfill the mission of the church in our own strength, we're going to miss it. Our church will fail. Our families will fail. And we will not fulfill the mission of the church, because it is impossible to fulfill the mission of the church in physical effort. Why? Because this is a spiritual mission. It is not a feeding mission, a church building mission. I'm not saying those things aren't useful. What I'm saying is the primary purpose of the church, the primary mission of the church is to make disciples. Not disciples of our food programs. Not disciples of of church planting, Bible translation even. Those things are secondary to the mission of the church. So Jesus is saying, it's only because I have authority and I've given it to you because I'm with you. He has all authority in heaven and earth, and that is given to the church. So that's why verse 18 is there. And so the power or the ground, the foundation for making disciples by baptizing and teaching them is essential to being able to fulfill them. Without His authority and His power, we cannot make disciples. Because it is the Holy Spirit through us who makes disciples. We can have the best Christian apologetics. We can argue the best for Christianity to anyone in the world, but if the Holy Spirit does not quicken them, raise them from the dead, then it's useless, right? And so we need Jesus' power and authority to overcome to make disciples. And that's the key. In verse 9, 19, make disciples is the only verb in the sentence. It is the commanding verb. It is the most important part. Baptizing and teaching are um, participles that are... I know, I know I'm going into grammar, and I'll be honest, uh, learning another language definitely helps you... 
understand how this works. But participle, the participles are in baptizing and teaching are both related to making disciples. Because making disciples is the verb, it's an imperative verb, which means a commanding verb. So baptizing and teaching are ways in which we make disciples, right? Because if we think that we can make disciples without these things, we're wrong. We, we can't pick and choose. Because making disciples is doing this. It's men and women who follow Jesus and His teaching. That's what His disciples were. His followers. A disciple in the Old Testament time, or in the New Testament, was someone who followed. Just like a, a teacher today would have students. And if those students, back in those days, the students lived with their teacher until they finished. In the Roman world, you would send your son, if you were wealthy especially, you would send your son to these great um, people who could teach rhetoric, how to, to argue, could teach whatever. Whatever your skill was, you would send your child to this, this teacher who was supposed to be uh, a great teacher, and he would teach your child, and your child would be known as a disciple of that person. In this case, Jesus went out and called His disciples. And He's telling believers to go out and do the same thing. We are called to go out and make disciples, to find people and to share the gospel and allow the Holy Spirit through us to make disciples. And when they, they turn to Christ, we baptize Him in the name of the, Holy, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, when we are making disciples, we see here, baptism is a picture of that. Death to the old man and, and raising to new life. It's a public profession of faith in Christ. And that's, that's so important to the Christian in the world. If we do not make our faith public... We are denying Christ. If you deny my name before men, I will deny your name before the Father. So, deny you before the Father. So, that's why baptism is a public event. And why I believe it's important that it is a church event. And then teaching, verse 20. Teaching them deserve all that I commanded you. Why, why is it so important that we, they know because a disciple cannot do and follow Jesus if they don't know what Jesus did and believed? That's why it's so important that we teach them to observe all that I commanded you. So if we are unwilling as a church to teach the Word of God, we are being unfaithful in fulfilling the mission of the church. There's a really good book on the mission of the church. There's some parts of it. There's one section that's a, a little bit different, but it's called What is the Mission of the Church? And it's by Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert. If you want a list of the books that 
I am recommending. I'd be happy to send it to you. But this is what it looks like. It's on Amazon. Um, but anyways, it's a really good book. It really helped me um, when I read it a couple of years ago to see why much of what is called missions today outside of the U.S. and even in the U.S. are not missions at all, and that's why there's no actual long-standing fruit. Because there's no gospel presentation. There's no truth being taught. We're giving things away or providing physical and financial means, yet no gospel is being presented. That doesn't mean that there aren't people who are presenting the gospel while doing good for those in need. But the gospel should be the central focus and the purpose because we are called to make disciples. So teaching is absolutely essential. Back to that. And so we must be taught. That's what the Scriptures describe as preaching. So today I want to focus on specifically the characteristic of preaching. And one aspect of it that I think is the most important, and that that is that it is expositional preaching. And I know uh, you've probably not heard that term before, but we'll get to that. Expositional preaching has everything to do with exposing. The, the, The Latin phrase means to expose or to bring out. And the point of expositional preaching is to let the, God's Word speak. Instead of us interpreting the Bible the way we want to read it, we let the, the Bible, the context of the verse, the location of the verse in the Bible, to define and, and, and bring to light what the Scriptures are teaching. That's what I've been trying to do uh, since I've started teaching through the book of Romans, is to read the text and to find out what, what is the, the meaning of the text. Because it's so easy for us as believers, and, and many of us have sat under preachers who have done this, some in the wrong way and some in the good, and most preaching today is topical. And that is, we, we, come, to the te- we come with a topic, okay, I, I want to do a, a message on marriage and the family. Okay, I think I'm going to go read Ephesians because there's a lot there, or I'm going to read this. And unfortunately, if we're looking just to do topics all the time, we miss out on large sections of Scripture, and we actually make it harder to understand, for example, why the book of Romans is the way it is. If, if I'm just going to preach on justification from Romans, but completely ignore everything else that is in Romans, it helps, it, it's... We lose out on so much. And so, I want us to see what preaching is. So if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 10, and there'll be a a far more detailed sermon on this when we get to it, but um, I think it's important that we understand what the word that is used for preaching conveys in Scripture. So Romans chapter 10 we see starting in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, 
the word of faith which we are preaching. This word preaching here is the word that would be used in ancient times to describe a herald. We don't have heralds anymore. Uh, The closest thing that you could probably think of is if you've seen an older movie where someone is going around um, holding up a newspaper and saying, you know, breaking news or, or this kind of news. Now we have technology and it doesn't take long to spread news. But in this case, a herald would go before a, a ruler or a king or someone important. And when that person was going, so, so let's say that a, a famous, say Caesar, one of the biggest men at the time, the most powerful man um, on earth at the point, he's going somewhere, well, he would send a herald before him to make sure to proclaim that he was coming to that place, to make sure everything was ready for him. Or, when a new king would come to the throne, a herald would be sent out, trumpets would be blown, cannons would be fired in later times, but there were always people going out to spread the good news. That's what the gospel, the word God, that is translated gospel is, is good news. So, it's important for us to see that because when we preach, we are heralding something. We're heralding the kingdom come. The coming to the throne of Christ Jesus. And that is the whole point of teaching. We are to teach people that Christ has come, that His kingdom is on earth, and that we are called to follow Him. And so, it's really important for us as believers to understand what that word is. We see that here in verse 8. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. What word of faith? That's a really important question. Because if we don't understand that, we don't understand the whole thing. Well, he explains in verse 9. What word of faith is he preaching? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, King, Master, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news that should be bringing faith, the word of faith. So, when we see verse 9, it is a a compiling of the gospel into a small area, making it easy for us to see what is that word of faith? What is it that Paul has been preaching? What is it that the apostles have been preaching or heralding? They're heralding that Jesus is Lord, that His kingdom has come, and that God raised Him from the dead. And when we believe that and we confess it with our mouth, we will be saved. Why? Because with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses resulting 
in salvation. Thus, faith of the heart results in righteousness, and confession with the mouth results in salvation. We see that there? So when we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth. But we have to believe in something, and that is the Word of God. God is not going to make distinction, we see that in verse 12, between Jew and Greek. The, the question is, will we believe? Will we confess? Because those are necessary. And we see that so clearly in verse 17. We've, we've all, I don't know of anyone who hasn't heard this, but it says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Who is Christ? Christ is the word. The problem is, if we don't hear the good news, if we don't hear the Word taught, can we have faith? Can we believe? No. And that's why we see Paul is trying to get to that. Verse 13, he says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. What great news! But the problem is, verse 14 Paul has a clear question. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? How are they going to call on Him? They've never heard of Him. They've never believed in Him. Why would they call on Him? And he says, how will they believe in whom they have not heard? Do we see where he's going? And how will they hear without a preacher? You know what Paul's answer is? Preaching. We see that because he says, And how will they preach unless they are sent? Yes, it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Paul is talking about the gospel. Because the gospel goes out, the question is, will we believe and will we confess? So if we take this, verse 14 and 15, we have this great news in verse 9, that salvation comes through confession of Jesus as Lord, and belief that God has raised Him from the dead. And then we see in verse 13, that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And then Paul goes to these questions. What, what is Paul's point? Paul's point is we need preaching. We need heralding. And those who preach must be sent. The church is not the one who sins, however. It is God. The church only recognizes that gifting. I think that's so important because we have what is called ordination. And ordination is, is where a church says, ordain someone to preach. And I'm not opposed to that idea, but I don't believe it's scriptural to say that the church ordains someone to preach. The church recognizes the need and the gifting that God has given someone to preach, to teach. The titles that we give those who preach and teach are based on Scripture. I've seen lately on social media people bucking against the idea of calling someone a pastor or calling someone preacher because, well, we're all believers. Yes, absolutely. There is no distinction in the eyes of God. The question is, are you being faithful in what God has called you? God gives authority to pastors and teachers. Why? Because they are preaching His Word, not their Word, not their opinions. And that's why expositional preaching is so important. Because it is keeping the church in the Word of God, not on the pastor's opinions, the pastor's uh, latest pet horse, because y'all would not like to be on my pet horse every week. When we are preaching expositionally, we are forced to face things in Scripture that are not popular. You know, we, we pick, uh, for example, <laughs> we, we pick Corinthians and we think, oh yeah, when I get to verse 9, I'm going to run into the, the, the passage on giving to the church. I'm like, man, that's going to be a good Sunday. The problem is, when you get to verse 9 of 1 Corinthians, it, Paul is actually talking about giving to other churches who have need. To giving to the believers outside of that church. And, and that is so, so when we get to that text, if, if we are like, we're going to make sure people are giving to the church, if we are seeking to be faithful to what God's Word says, we have to change our message completely because we can't teach that from Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Because that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about giving to other churches who have need. So, or, or say we're pre, I decided to preach through Romans. Well, first chapter one is full of controversial subjects like homosexuality today. And if I didn't want to offend someone, I could gloss over it and just say, you know, that's a, a group of sin. No, it's not. It's, it is a sin that's a part of immorality, but it is a great sin against God, just as fornication and adultery are against God's design. And so, we cannot avoid 
tough topics when we preach expositionally. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. That is so important for us. We've heard that verse so often, but I think we forget that oftentimes what we think that means is, well, if I read in Psalm 91 that such and such won't happen to me, and it does, then you know what? Maybe I didn't have faith. Right? I believe Psalm 91 is for today. I believe that we can pray these prayers in faith because all the promises of God are in Christ, yes and amen. We have to be careful, brothers, that we're not just picking our pet verses out and using it as a means to our own ends. The reason that I believe that expositional preaching is important in the church is because it forces us as believers to look into God's Word and realize that He is speaking to us believers those who are sitting in the pews, those who are, who are preaching, those who are teaching, those who are singing, that we all are called to live for Christ. The difference is not determined by how we feel about something. As I've been preaching through Romans, I've encountered times when I did not feel like preaching a certain passage because it wasn't so exciting or because it was difficult to figure out what Paul was saying. And I'll be honest with you, I I haven't done perfectly well. I know that I could do much better at expositional preaching, because expositional preaching is not, for one thing, it is not a run-on sentence where we're just commenting on a, a passage of Scripture. Yo, yeah, see this word? Oh, yeah. No, the point of exponential preaching is to understand the main point of the text that we're reading. Instead of pulling it out of context to argue for something. That oftentimes that's what happens with topical preaching, and topical preaching has its place. And oftentimes topical preaching can be expositional because the main point of the text is still there, but we're bringing in other texts from elsewhere. So, for example, if we, we want to preach on justification, we know that's clear in Romans. So we, we find that text that really hammers at home, and that's the main point of the text. Then we go and find other parts where Paul or Jesus or James or whoever is talking about what justification is. And we bring those in, and that, that's a topical sermon. But we could preach it completely from that text in Romans. So it's, it's not, that's, that's expositional. But sometimes we, we have a topical text and we just start pulling verses from everywhere without thinking about the context that those verses are in. That's why I try my best as when we turn away from Romans to another passage to understand the context of a particular verse before we read that verse to make sure that we're not trying to 
lay something on that verse that wasn't there in the first place. So, that was a side note. <coughs> that, last, that last phrase in verse 14 is, it's better, how will they hear it without preaching? And I think this is really important for us. Preaching is God's means of edifying the church. And we see that so clearly if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is talking about what's wise and foolish. He's preaching to a church that is trying to argue over who's better. Oh, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos and Cephas and so on. Well, he's got better uh, ways of expressing himself. And we fall into this trap so often in the church. There are pastors who have become famous and, and people say, well, I'm of uh, Piper, I'm of... Uh, whomever you want, you want to name it, Carter Conlon. I, I'm of um, Brooklyn Tabernacle or, or whoever. So it's so easy for us to fall into that trap. And, and it's so important for us as believers to realize that it's not about how eloquent someone is. It's about this Holy Spirit working through someone. Not me trying to work up emotion so that people will be moved. It's not about me being someone that's great. It's not about the wisdom of this world. We see that in verse 21. Of chapter 1, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. So we cannot know God through wisdom that this world provides. We've got to get that clear as believers. It is not through the wisdom of the world. Common sense will lead you to Christ. No, it will not. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believed. The world will always think preaching, and especially the gospel message, is foolishness. It's only when God does a work that they will understand that that foolishness isn't foolishness. In verse 2, or chapter 2, Paul continues, he says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with you support with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. He's, he's not some great teacher. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. 
Paul, what Paul is saying is, that's all he did. He preached. He was preaching when he came to them. He gave his message for the preaching. Does that mean he wasn't talking to them one-on-one? No. That was a part of it. But when he came together to the church in Corinth, he was preaching the Word of God. And he did this because your faith, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul didn't want people to say, oh, look at how great his preaching is. Oh, he's so eloquent. He should be an orator. He should be preaching in the... Uh, what is the name of those places? An outdoor amphitheater. You should be in the amphitheater... Paul, draw the crowds with your... No. Paul said, I'm not, gonna play, I'm not playing by that rule because I do not speak wisdom, or we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined for the ages for our glory. Preaching is foolishness to many. But if we're in Christ, we realize that our, the word of faith is so important for us. And we see that in Acts chapter 2. The first preaching of a spirit-filled believer, a Peter, he preached the word. He's quoting from the Old Testament there. And 3,000 people were converted to Christ. So 3,000 people were made, began the road of discipleship. That day, they were baptized and they followed the teaching of the apostles. That it was exactly what Jesus told the disciples to do in Matthew 28. That's why it's so important for us as believers to read through books like Acts, to see how the early church functioned, how they fulfilled the great commission that they were given, the mission of the church. So what... I have a question. How does preaching relate to believers in the church? Like, what, what's the, why is it so important for the church? And I would say it acts as a means of growth and godliness. It's a means by which God brings about transformation in the lives of believers. We're transformed by the Holy Spirit. We're sanctified, justified. We talked about that a couple weeks ago and hit it again last week. But because we're sanctified and justified, predestined, called, God has done all this work, but by hearing the word preached, we realize who we are. I would say that many of us, before reading and hearing the word taught through the book of Romans, didn't understand justification, didn't understand sanctification and our calling in Christ, and how God is, through His Spirit, calling us to holiness. But now, because of God's grace, and because of expositional preaching, I believe and I hope that our church and those who have been hearing the messages of late 
are understanding justification. They're understanding sanctification. That it is a definitive act that God is bringing forth. So when we listen to the Word, we realize, oh, I didn't realize that that was part of what God had made me. So I, I want to please Him in this way. So when we do, when we grow in godliness, God-likeness, it is not something new. It's us realizing what God has already done in our lives. Right? And we really see the essential nature of preaching in 1 Timothy. So please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. With me. By the way, if this was a pre, if this was a sermon, this would be topical, just so you know. <laughs> but I am seeking to be faithful to what the Scripture says, and I do I, I do want to clarify. I do believe that topical preaching is necessary. You couldn't really teach on the Trinity from one specific passage in the Bible because there's no definitive passage, for example, for the Trinity. And it might be difficult just to preach on specific subjects uh, expositionally of things going on in our world. We do need to deal with current events, kind of like I'd, I started off today talking about how the church should respond to things that we hear. But that should be the minority, not the majority of our teaching. So 1 Timothy chapter 4 Wait, sorry, I might be in the wrong... Yeah, sorry, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. So Paul has is nearing the end of his life, and he's giving Timothy a charge. And what is his charge here in verse 2? Actually, let's read it. Verse 1 2, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Now, if you heard this as a charge, would you take it lightly? No. Paul is saying, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our King. You think, in his presence, I'm charging you to do this. This is not an option, Timothy. And what does he say? Preach the Word. What Word? Well, I think we need to read the rest of this before we get to that. It says, Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So the purpose of this preaching is, is to reprove people, to rebuke people, to exhort them. But we do it with patience and instruction. Teaching. You see that? He's saying, preach the word. That's a command. It's a charge, a solemn charge. 
Paul does not want this to be confused. That's why he said it's a solemn charge before in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Why is this going to be a problem? Because there will come a time when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to to miss. The word must be taught. What word? Well, if you look back at verse 16 of chapter 3, I believe it's very clear. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Do you see? He uses the same word, reprove. Correction is the same as rebuke for training, exhortation. Paul is talking about Scripture, all Scripture. Preach the Word. Paul doesn't say preach opinion, preach emotions, preach what's popular, preach the latest event. Paul is saying preach the Word. Why? So that, verse 17, the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So this is the reason without preaching we will not grow in godliness. We won't be equipped to do the work that God has called us to. If that work is going to an office every day and living a godly life and speaking into the lives of your co-workers... That's not any less than a preacher standing before you or someone who's gone on missions. In God's kingdom, there's no little people and there are no little places. I think we've missed that. We think there's uh, two or three tiers of Christianity. And there aren't. Pastors aren't higher because God has given them authority as any, any more than a husband is better than his wife. We just have different roles. God has called us to fulfill our purpose in this life, not the purpose of our brother or sister. So we have to be faithful to do what God has said and remember that if we're preaching the Word, we're doing it so that men may be adequately equipped for every good work, ourselves included. And if we're listening to the Word taught, we're listening because we want to be equipped to do what God has called us to do, to please God. We cannot please Him without it. If we want to grow, we have to stand for preaching of the Word. I'm tired of seeing my brothers and sisters walk away because they don't know the Word. This is why it's daily bread. And this is another lie that I'm hearing from social media, from our government. I want to tell you something. You know what is more necessary than food? The Word of God. I would rather go hungry than not know the Word of God. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's the problem. 
Our world today does not see the necessity of the church, the necessity of God's Word. And so it is not a necessity anymore. It is the first thing that our governor decided to shut down in large groups. And I think that's, that's telling that our governor chose to address churches first suggesting that they should close because they were non-essential. That's not his words, but that's essentially the, the mindset that's behind that. A church is essential. And I pray that but, but just because we're live streaming, there's no one uh, necessarily here for a meeting, I hope that this lack of time together would cause us to desire to be together soon. That we wouldn't be, oh, this is so much better, I don't have to get out of, I can go to church in my pajamas. Yes, it's not always convenient to get four kids dressed and out the door and try to make it to church on time on a Sunday morning. No, being a Christian is not always convenient. Being a part of a church is not always convenient. But it's necessary. And I know some here, some who are listening today are, are not a part of SCA, and, and you may not have a church that you're a part of, but I would encourage you to seek out a God-fearing, God-honoring, Word-teaching church. Because... We, as believers, are called to be together, physically together. We see throughout Scripture that when two or more are gathered in His name, He is there with us. He doesn't say together on Zoom, together on YouTube, together. No, He says together. This is a local body, and I... That's not one of the characteristics that I'm going to really go into, but I'm going to hit it every time we, we talk about the church because I don't want to say that, well, if you can't make it, I know there's some people in our, our church specifically who are going through physical things that have impeded their ability to go to church. But a motivation and a desire to be with other believers should be a part of our faith growing, Lord, I don't want to remain in this state because I want to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Or maybe you live in a place where it's so secular. Search out believers and, and seek to find that church that is still preaching the Word. And that's why if we're going to preach the Word, expositional preaching is the easiest way to truly preach the Word of God. That doesn't mean there are so many methods, and I would be more than happy um, if you would like. There's a couple websites that I'm, I'm aware of that my uh, preaching class actually gave me for helping understand Scripture, that I, I use some of those methods. But in the end, it comes down to the Holy Spirit working in us and through us because God's Word is necessary 
for growth. So there, there's so many different reasons why expositional preaching are helpful, and I've already hit some of them. You know, it helps us keep God's Word central in the church, makes it possible for us to preach the Word every week, instead of, for example, letting current events run everything, or popular debates, or pet topics. And also, it's helpful for preaching through books of the Bible because it helps us get an understanding of the entire point of, say, a letter of Paul, like we've been doing through the book of Romans, or one of the Gospels. Understand, what is Mark trying to say? What is Matthew trying to say? Or an Old Testament prophet? What what was the point that Isaiah is making in his prophecy? What's Amos dealing with? What's Hosea dealing with? Or, or what is the purpose of the book of Deuteronomy? What's Joshua about? Because the better we understand individual books of the Bible, the better we're able to understand the whole, what God is doing. God is painting a picture. God is telling a story of redemption through His Word. And lastly, I've said this, It makes us address issues that are difficult. And it's so interesting. Last week, our preaching was on the never-ending love of God. How how God's love never ends. That no matter what happens to us, if we're in Christ... We can't lose His love. And, and so it's so important for us to see that message had been in the, the gates the whole time. And then all these things happened last week. And so that message was right on time. It, I, I didn't have to come up with a message on hope because I already had one. And, and that's why when we pick books, if... if if we're in a position to, to preach, when, when we pick those books, we're praying the whole time, Lord, what is it that you want to teach your church? I, don't, I didn't pick the book of Romans because I thought, well, we need, we need to understand this topic. So when we get there, we'll really get to hammer that home. No, I just sense that that was a good book to, to, to go through because it reminds us of what a believer is. And then once we get to chapter 12 of Romans, we'll see how, those, how we apply the truths that Paul has already taught us to the daily nitty-gritty. So preaching Scripture, and I'm going to quote some, a couple of things from John Piper. He has a really good book, and I would recommend this even to... to it's a little bit more technical, but um, it's called Expository Exaltation. And it just talks about how preaching, here's the book, um, it just talks about how preaching is worship. 
Why? Because it's preaching God's Word. And, and this is a couple things he says. Preaching Scripture, therefore, explains God's glory and worth and exalts, exalts over God's glory and worth. It always seeks to be true and never allows itself to be neutral about stupendous realities. Piper's trying to show us the importance of preaching all of Scripture in, in order. He goes on to say, he says, Preaching shows God's supreme worth by making the meaning of Scripture known by simultaneously treasuring and expressing the glories of God revealed in that biblical meaning. So if we want to worship God as a church, if you want to worship God with your church, then preaching and, I believe, expository preaching must be integral to our church. Because if we look at it, I just want to look at the Word in the Old Testament. Because all Scripture, we're not, we're not leaving that out. And I know this is going a little long, but... You're sitting at home, so it's not like your roasts are going to burn. So I could go all day, right? <laughs> but if we look at Genesis, we see it's through the power of God's Word that all is created. I think that is extremely important for us as believers. Because if we miss that, we really miss out. There's, there's many people who say, well, it's the church who created God's Word. It's not. God is the one who created. He created men by His Word. We just recognize His Word as true. Genesis 1, we see that. All is literally created by God's Word. In Genesis 12, we see the first mention of, thus says the Lord, or, or the Word of God, the Word of the Lord, which that phrase, by the way, is used 3,500 times, more than 3,500 times in the Old Testament alone. If God does not reveal Himself to His people, they are lost. We are lost. We need His Word. This is so important to the church that His Word is central in our preaching and teaching. If it is not, then we're missing out. And the words that we sing, are they in line with God's Word? If they're not, then we need to throw them out. Right? God's Word must be central to what we believe. The songs that we sing as believers in the church and outside define us. I mean, how many of you all remember songs to some kind of a food jingle? I mean, how many of you all know the Kit Kat song? I don't know all the words. But just by saying that, even people across the ocean who may be watching today, can probably think of a candy bar or 
or some kind of product that has been sold to you through a song. And that's why, as believers, we have to be careful. What is, what is, what is that song portraying through the words that it says about God? Because there are songs that are extremely popular right now, and they use words that I think I'll be nice because if I say the word, you'll know what song I'm talking about. But <laughs> they, they honestly paint a picture of God that is not biblical. We cannot be reckless with God's word and the songs that we sing. So by His Word, God created the world. All that we know. And as God had just cursed Adam and Eve, when He sends them out, He gives them a promise. He gives them His Word. Isn't that interesting? They had just sinned against God, and and God had cursed, brought a curse on the earth, on them, on the serpent. But still, God promised Something. He promised that there would be an offspring to come. Abraham. We see Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, at the word of God, left his family. Now that's nuts. In that time, his family was well-to-do in Ur. Why would he go off into Canaan where... Who knows what could happen at the word of a man? No, he he heard the word of God. God spoke to him and he left everything to follow God. I I want us to read that. I'm going to read that really quick. I just want us to see how integral God's word is in the Old Testament. And it's not any different in the New. And the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. You see that? Abram left at God's word. But it didn't stop it doesn't stop there. We see so many times Moses he gets he's he's out in the wilderness and he sees a burning bush and he's like why is it not burning up? So he goes and checks it out. Now could Moses have known to go back to Egypt if he just saw the burning bush? No, the bush spoke. Why? Because God's presence was in the bush. Or at, not in the bush, but God's presence was there. And He spoke to Moses, commanding him to go. We see in, in Elijah, the story of Elijah. In 1 Kings 18, he says, you know, he had the... The famine had come, and after a long time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. 
That phrase, I've said this already, the, the, the phrase, the word of the Lord or, or similar came, it's, it's found 35, over 3,800 times in the Old Testament. That's interesting. In the New Testament, you only see two to 300 times in, by comparison. The people of God in the Old Testament lived by the word of God. And when they didn't, they fell into sin. God's word always came as a means of faith. And, and right now I'm, I'm kind of going through uh, what Mark Dever has said about this. And, and he says, a secondary object of faith, you know, the word is a secondary object of faith. Why? We believe the word because of who spoke it. God. We believe his word because we believe God spoke it. Just as if person A spoke, you would believe them but if person B spoke the same words, you wouldn't believe them. So if the President of the United States said, I can, I can uh, get you out of jail with just a word, you'd say, okay, I'll believe you. But if uh, the uh, warden at the prison said that, you would be skeptical. And you'd be really skeptical if it's another prisoner. Right? So our faith is based in God, and His Word is His revelation of Himself to us. If God does not speak to us, we are lost and hopeless. God's Word is central. And I've, I've talked about this in Romans chapter 8. It's essential To faith. Just think about it. Ezekiel 37. I'm, I'm kind of... I mean, we could go through so many examples in the Old Testament where God spoke. But I want us to see in Ezekiel 37 the power of God's Word. Because this is a picture of God's transforming power. Ezekiel 37, we've all heard the story of the dry bones. And the hand of the Lord was upon me, verse 1, and He brought me out, of the spirit, out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. 